The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, Between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Well, I start this morning with uh, something of a confession. Uh, it, it's a confession about a, something that happened this past week that uh, put me in this parable. Uh, it was a uh, very busy week, and I, there were so many different things going on. We were hosting the, the 20 clergy from the deanery. We were trying to get ready for stewardship letters to get them out so we were ready for our stewardship uh, pledge campaign. There were just many disparate things. And it was early in the week, and I was uh, just had a meeting and was rushing off to lunch, and I had a bunch of things I wanted to get done in the afternoon. I poked my head in the office, and Ann said, There's a man in the library who's been waiting there for an hour for you. He'd like to speak with you. Well, of course, I knew what this meant. It was going to interrupt my plans. I knew that it was going to be someone asking for help. And I really didn't want to get involved. But out of duty, I went to the library. I saw the man. And I know that he must have sensed by my presence and what I was, uh, what I was projecting in a nonverbal way that I really didn't want to be there. And then as we talked, and one of the things that I'm so frustrated by is that uh, we really don't have easy ways to help people 
who are homeless coming through town. We used to be able to use vouchers that we, the churches provided to the police department uh, for, uh, for, uh, tr- for train, also for food, for gas, and uh, that no longer happens. Uh, we also had one motel that would uh, accommodate homeless people overnight, and we could provide funding for that. But now there's no place to put someone up overnight in Concord. And so all that was going through my head. And I said to this man, you know, there's really not much that we have to offer in these western suburbs. Now, can you believe I said that to a homeless man? We, we who are so wealthy in the eyes of him, have so little to offer. I think I sensed it as soon as the words came out of my mouth, that it was a stupid thing to say. And I was responding to my own sense of inadequacy in that moment and not his. And then I realized this was my Lazarus and I was his rich man. And I couldn't see his need over my own need. Well, he was persistent. And he continued to talk, and he talked about his own life story. It became clear that he really was in a situation where he needed to have a place to stay. So we took some money from petty cash, and we arranged for some other ways to get enough money to put him up overnight in a motel in, uh, in Lexington and provide taxi transportation so he could get over there. So we did what we needed to do, but I realized that... I was unable to see in that man, in that moment, the need that was presented before me. I think sometimes our lives are so busy and we get so caught up with our own agendas. And that was part of my problem, certainly, that that morning. So caught up with our agenda, what we have to get done, that it's hard for us to see the need that is right there in front of us. And I think it that... Somehow we have to get beyond just trying to do what we believe needs to be done and to see what God is calling us to do. How often in our daily lives do we encounter Lazarus for us? And who is that person who's Lazarus for us? It should have been obvious to me that his need was so great and that I needed to be gracious from the very beginning, not just at the end. But how do we bring ourselves to that point where we can see Christ in the other? Well, this parable ends with a huge chasm between the rich man and Lazarus, with the rich man in Hades and Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham in heaven. But that chasm had really existed all through their lives. Scholars believe that about 5% of the population was made up of people like Lazarus. And they lived outside the gates of the city, outside the city walls. And then in the morning when the gates were open, they would come into the city, they would beg, and then before the gates were closed at night, they would be cast out again outside the walls. And in addition to that, the, the truly wealthy had homes that had walls built around them. So in the case of uh, Lazarus and the rich man, not only did he have this sense of a person outside the walls of the city, but he was also outside the walls of this wealthy man's home. 
Lazarus just wanted to have some of the scraps from his table. And I think part of what the parable tells us is that he apparently was so weak that he couldn't even keep the dogs away from from licking his sores. And this interjection of dogs into this parable, an, an indication of uncleanness. Lazarus was on the outside. He was in the 5%. Lazarus didn't count for anything in that culture. Now, the rich man was on the other side of that chasm. It says that he dressed in purple and linen. Purple was a very expensive cloth. And the linen probably referred to linen undergarments that were bought from Egypt, another very expensive luxury. And then the, the lesson also says that he feasted sumptuously every day. Everybody ate every day, but not everybody feasted every day. So what Jesus is setting before the Pharisees is this image of a man who is living lavishly, extravagantly in the face of this man who had such great need. The two lived in very different worlds with a huge chasm between them, not unlike the man in the library and myself. Now, I don't believe that the purpose of this parable is to condemn the rich. And the other problem with all that is that when I think about the rich, and this may be true for you as well, it's always those who have more material things than I have and more money than I have. So I'm not one of the rich. But the truth is that this parable is for all of us. It's a cop-out to think that it's only for those in the 1% or even in the top 10%, which probably includes some of us. It's about all of us. And it's about how we respond to need that we see in the world around us. I was talking about this parable with some parishioners yesterday. We were having lunch together at the uh, Diocesan Resource Day in Roxbury. And in the course of our discussion, uh, one person said, you know, we're so shaped by our culture that it makes it hard for us sometimes to see the need that is right there before us. We can become so comfortable in the mold in which we're, we're formed that we don't see beyond it. And I think that's especially true for those of us who live in Concord and the, and the surrounding communities. We live in sort of a bubble where we don't see much uh, urgent need. Now, the truth is there is need. There's need in Concord. But perhaps because of shame, because of not being able to keep up with others, not being able to appear to be an appropriate person to be living here, that it can't ever be disclosed. But there are people in real need in our town who are hungry, some of them living in big houses that don't have furniture in them anymore, people in real need. Most of the time we don't see that. But if we go down to Harvard Square, or when I go into the diocese and get get off the tee uh, uh, down at Park Street and come up in front of the cathedral, we're confronted with it head on because of the panhandlers who are there. But often we don't see that more subtle need that's in our own communities, and perhaps even in our own families. 
I think that it's very important for us to understand that the need is around us all the time, but often we don't have eyes to see it. Now, there's another aspect of this parable that I think we must address. Uh, some have said that the only time Episcopalians preach about heaven or the afterlife is at funerals. And that's usually true. But this parable uh, doesn't let us escape today. It's about eternity as well. And Jesus seems to be saying in this parable that there's some connection between the way we live this life and how we will live eternal life. It matters, Jesus seems to be saying. It matters what we do here and now. Now, I'm not speaking about uh, salvation by works, because only God, through God's grace and God's forgiveness, can provide us with salvation. We don't do anything to earn it. But we do respond to the grace of God and to God's forgiveness. And how we respond, I think, has to do with what we do with our resources and how we respond to need in the world around us. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray every week and more often than that. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. There's something about this divine economy. We have been given grace. We have been given forgiveness. And it is incumbent upon us to extend that grace and to extend that forgiveness. It matters what we do in this life. And it matters for all eternity. For me this past week, the man in the library was an interruption. And perhaps that's where it begins, our awareness, is, are those moments of interruption in our life. When we've got a schedule, we've got a plan, and we're going to make it happen. And suddenly something comes in the way and we're interrupted. I am convinced that most of those interruptions are God moments. It's when God is saying to us, stop, look around you. What is in front of you? What am I leading you to? I believe those moments are precious. They're golden. They're opportunities for us to see what God is inviting us to do to extend God's kingdom. Well, I have three suggestions about how we might be more conscious of the need around us. The first is I would encourage you to take this home and to meditate in the coming week on that second reading from First Timothy. It is an incredibly beautiful passage, but it's also wonderful guidance to the church about how we are to be in relationship with our financial resources how we are to be good stewards and how we are to live the Christian life, whether we're rich or poor, but whatever we've been given, you know, all of it belongs to God. And in many cases, we can't even point to how we have earned it. It just seemed to fall into our laps. Sometimes it fell into our laps by the opportunity of a good position that made it possible for us to earn money. However it came to us, we have a responsibility to be good stewards of the money that we have been given. And part of that is an expression of our faith. 
So the first thing I would say is to meditate on 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 19. Wonderful passages. But I think we need to also answer the question, but then what? I believe we, we begin to respond to real need when we can see Christ in the face of the other. And I think in that moment, the other person becomes real in a very different way. When I was in South Dakota in the church I was in there, we used to have morning prayer every morning. And I, there was one woman that after morning prayer, we, she would talk and, and, it, and she would talk and talk and talk and talk. And I would become so bored and I would and I had things I needed to get to and I would get very frustrated. I was expressing this to my uh, spiritual director and she said, do you think it's possible for you to see the face of Christ in that woman? And once I could do that, everything about that relationship was transformed. I could tolerate the monologue and many times the monologue was well worth it. But to see the face of Christ in the other transforms the relationship. And I think also we need to think about how we might be Christ to the other. We as Christians, little Christ, have a responsibility to be Christ to the other person as well. I believe that's the essence of living the Christian life. And so as we think about the need that may be before us that we don't see, you know, I saw Lazarus this week one time. How many other Lazaruses did I miss because I just didn't see them? I believe that God is inviting us through this parable to see where the need is in our world and to respond as we can. To respond in a way that we believe God is leading us and who knows where that will lead. And what kind of ministries that will lead into. It may simply be a ministry of presence for that one person in that moment. And that's really all they need. It may be something much more dramatic. But I pray that we may be open to where God is leading us in our daily lives. Interrupting our schedules and inviting us to be Christ to the other. Amen.